Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Believe in softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and it feels like we've already lived through a lot this year of softball already, but there's still a lot more to come. So, however, you got here today, whether it was an audio podcast platform like Apple, Spotify, etc., or watching on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your pods. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B L E A V. And of course, there's merch. Click the link in our bio on either of those pages or go to shop.believe.com to purchase three different softball shirts available for you, covering our bases, safer out, and catch you soon. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll be covering our bases. I'll share some updates and call-outs around the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Leah Amico, one of the greats in our sport, whether it was Team USA or Arizona Everything she touched has turned to gold, Uh, truly. So stay tuned, and then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's go. Covering our bases. BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to BetOnline today to become part of the team and remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, the game starts here. As you all know, I am teaming up with Rippet Sports this season. I have worn my new ringer turfs every weekend so far this college softball season, and I am proud to rep it because their mission is to elevate female athletic performance. And how do they go about it? They just get that women and girls deserve gear specifically tailored to our needs, gear that fits right, performs well, and meets our unique demands. Ripit is offering an exclusive 15% discount. Just use the code Jenna15 when you shop at ripit.com. That's jenna one five. This is your chance to experience the same quality gear that helps so many women and girls excel. I saw a lot of women excel at the Marionetter tournament in person this past weekend. The amount of previous guests and believers that I got to see in person was so fun. And I only got to actually document a handful, but I saw so many and it, it was just the best. I mean, from Stacey Newman to Rhonda Ravel to Kelly I and Lisa Fernandez, Chelsea Spencer, Just so many that I didn't even get a chance to say hi to as well. And it was still so great to see them do their thing on the field. And then even some some pros too. Some people who are out of the college game but still very much in the game. Like a Megan Faramo, Rachel Garcia, Natasha Watley, and my old travel ball coach, Holly Pierce, for example, who was a guest on this show too. You know, I got to see her and there's so many players that were competing in the tournament. And then people like me covering it and other people there that she – has had a hand in their careers. So that that was really awesome as well. And then the quickest reunion I've probably ever had with a guest, uh, minus maybe some of my old teammates and coaches, but Charlize Palacios was there with UCLA. So between her and her sister, Sachelle, I saw them both in person and got to give them hugs, which was 
You know, it's one of my favorite parts of doing this. And also a ton of history. Like when you actually look at the on the field performances, I was with D1 softball there at Mary Nutter and I got to do some interviews for some pretty big moments and big time players like a Kiki Malloy for Tennessee became the all time leader for the home run record for the Lady Vols. I mean, huge deal. Got to interview her. Check that out on the social media channels for D1. Also, Tiari Jennings and OU just continuing their win streak, you know, going for the four-peat this year and got to pick her brain about what she thinks of all of that this season. And, you know, the atmosphere and the fan experience, I think it, it was fun. And it's funny because I remember when I played in the tournament in college, you know, I knew, for example, like there's a concession stand right in the middle of the fields and that there was a bar in that concession stand. I just never thought about it. never occurred to me. didn't really, wasn't really relevant for me. But for example, like getting to chat with someone like Krista Humphreys. So KK Humphreys from Oregon and Cece Humphreys from UCF's mom who coached them when they, they were younger in high school. You know, I got to talk to her. She saw her, her daughters play each other for the very first time ever. They played with each other for a few games before COVID hit, but this is the first time they got to play against each other. And just hearing about like some of the smack talk and and just seeing how nervous the parents were. You know, they sat right in the middle behind home plate, behind the backstop, completely neutral. The UCF and Oregon logos on their shirts. It was very much a Mama Kelsey moment. And I did see her later, Krista, after I interviewed her. And, you know, she had a beer and she was like, you know, after that game, I think I'm ready to just decompress a little bit. <laughs> so she took advantage of the bar, the concession stand. But, you know, it was just a different point of view than I had experienced before. And even speaking of the Mama Kelsey moments, you know, Tiari Jennings' parents and her her whole family really did something similar. They had OU and they had USD, San Diego. Her sister Telly is on that team too. And it was her first Mary Nutter. It's Tiari's last Mary Nutter. And they got to rep both of them as well. So what a fun way to just experience one of these college softball tournaments. And then one of the best parts is, is obviously the young girls who are there. You know, the little travel ballers, um, some of the local rec ball teams who are there. And D1, we got to also do a clinic with Players Collective. And they got to learn from some of the best, like Rachel Garcia, Leah Andrews, Natasha Watley, you know, and just seeing how happy they were to interact with the current players, you know, the huge lines for the OU autographs, you know, people being so excited to run up to a Rachel or even Megan Framo and, and get their autographs and photos. Like it just, it was really, really cool. And it's, it's really what it's all about. Everyone I talked to that is either still playing in college or still playing pro said, you know, they used to be that little girl. So then to see them on the other side is, is really awesome. And my my SoCal heart was happy to see so many of the travel ball teams and, and local areas be represented that, you know, they were they were doing their thing when I was growing up playing travel ball as well. And I saw some of those same teams like a Corona Angels, uh, Batbusters, Firecrackers, Power Surge, Athletics, you know, so many of the same ones at it and then so many more. So it was definitely one of the best parts easily of the weekend. Coming up to this weekend, you know, the first games that are going to be played at Love's Field, OU's brand new stadium, are happening. The scoreboard might be my favorite part. It's shaped like the state of Oklahoma, which I think is just so cool. Like, I cannot wait to see how that plays out during their actual games. And then actually conference play starts for the ACC. You know, it's only been a few weeks of that preseason non-conference play, but they are starting things on the Atlantic Coast. 
Florida State, though, was supposed to travel to Eugene to play Oregon and Washington. And that's, you know, in theory, like that helps your RPI, right, to play strong teams like that. But weather is an issue. So they're being proactive and they're putting some games together, no longer traveling to Oregon. And I've actually been kind of impressed with that so far this year, meaning some programs and coaches, you know, they just want to play and putting things together. Like after Clearwater got rained out, you know, Tim Walton and Kenny Gajewski put together a, a midweek game between OSU and Florida um, in a matter of like 24 hours. And they were able to get get in some innings and some reps. So I think that's that's awesome. Judy Garman is also another big one, big preseason tournament coming up at Cal State Fullerton. Um, got to see them in person. They run World Tennessee at Mary Nutter. So I, I love seeing just their energy, especially for those that know uh, Hannah Becerra, not actually my cousin, but might as well be. Got to see her play in, in person too. And I'm excited for what they're going to do for the rest of the season. And if you want to follow along with what I got going on uh, right now and this week and this weekend, so the D1 Softball Podcast new episode came out this week with my co-host, Amanda Lorenz. We dig into the chaos <laughs> that is college softball season so far. I mean, I, I even asked people on Twitter, like, what's harder right now, ranking the top 25 or climbing Mount Everest? And 88% of people said ranking the top 25. So... That's where we're at with this softball community of ours. But you can check it out on D1 Softball's YouTube channel or some of the other social channels. I also have my first weekend of softball broadcast this season. So Stanford's actually hosting Georgia and Boise State, two good teams. I've seen the Bulldogs play in person in Clearwater. Now I'm excited to cover them from this perspective. You know, got to talk to some of their players, Coach Tony Baldwin, now it's going to be actually calling their games, which is great. And, you know, Stanford coming off a huge weekend in Texas. They went 5-0. and They beat the number two team in the country in extras. They beat Louisiana twice, including a run rule. And Georgia barely got their first loss of the season to Virginia Tech this past weekend. I mean, they have been on an outstanding streak so far to start this season. The Cardinal went to Athens last year, and they actually came out on top, you know, on that trip. So now this time... Georgia's returning the favor and coming to Palo Alto. So we're moving quickly through non-conference. And I said it last week that Mary Nutter could be a turning point for some teams. I think it has been, but I still think we're going to see more of that this weekend. And I am excited to see the support and the impact from just all parts of the softball world. And someone who is part of that on many levels is today's guest. I got my gold hoops in for her today. It'll make sense as you keep listening. <laughs> so let's head into the interview. She is a three-time Olympic gold medalist with Team USA, three-time national champion and All-American at Arizona, multiple-time Hall of Fame member, inspirational speaker, and plenty more, Leah Amico. Leah, I can't express to you how excited, especially like 10-year-old me is right now. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to be on here, Jen. I love that you cover and support so much softball and you're so involved in, in every way. I love seeing how our game is growing and part of that is what you're doing as well. So I'm excited to be, be on today. Well, I mean, right back at you on, on multiple levels, honestly. Um, and I'm actually thrilled to see in the background, everyone on video will be able to see this, the dream team, the real dream team, Sports Illustrated cover, because that I still have that from back then. And that was one of my favorite things growing up. Definitely one of the more inspirational sort of moments that I had to, to be a softball player. 
And I've had some of your teammates who are in that photo with you on this show. Um, but now, you know, you, I think, are number eight. So it'll be officially like half the people in that photograph. And I don't think I ever would have imagined that as a younger me. And it makes me really, really happy. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, I, I was able to play in the first ever Olympics, right in 1996. And I was still in college at Arizona. And then I went to 2000. And then that was obviously 2004. And the game was just continuing to explode. And it was such a big deal for us to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I just remember that moment of like, us saying, okay, no way. They were saying they were considering it. We were so excited. And then they got the final approval and all of us were just like, this is the best thing ever. So to be able to come back to the States and to see us on the cover of the Sports Illustrated was such a big deal for softball, such a big deal for, you know, just the the world of softball, really. Absolutely. And even recently with, you know, the, the not so fun announcements from Sports Illustrated that they're kind of winding things down. The first thing I thought of, though, was this cover. This is the first thing that I thought of because I feel like it was just such a moment for for softball. It's only grown ever since, but this was like one of those just moments in time that felt like it was just a turning point in a really good way for our sport. Yeah, I agree. And and I have loved to see, I mean, again, that was a long time ago, but yeah. you should be going in one direction, right? And it really is going in a positive direction. A lot of that because of the media attention, ESPN is a big part of that. And I have been able to call games at the Women's College World Series with Westwood One Radio nationally. And even that only started, you know, what, 15 years ago or so to where that was the first time it ever had been nationally um, on a radio broadcast. Obviously, TV was covering it. And so to just see the explosion of what Oklahoma has been able to do and the stands, them, you know, adding 4,000 extra stands and immediately being filled and, you know, to the brim and standing room only, it's, it's been so exciting to see this game grow. When you're somebody too, from the college perspective, so obviously I loved watching the entire team USA at that time and, and now even, but from the college perspective, I mean, for those who don't know, they should know, but for those who don't, you know, you were named to the ESPN greatest of all time college softball team for a reason. I think you still have, or you had for a very long time, the record for the highest batting average at the Women's College World Series hitting 750. Is that correct? Yes, I still have it. It's a couple of players have come close, Megan Langenfield <laughs> from UCLA. And, you know, I thought I thought maybe Jocelyn would be the one that would break it. You know, somehow it's still standing. I, every year I'm like, OK, is this the year? Because the hitters are just so phenomenal. But, yes, I was fortunate to be in three national championship um, on national championship teams. And then my other year we got second place. So it was it was truly like that's what got me my start. And, I, you know, I, I can't think the, the sport enough, the coaches I had, the teammates I played with. I mean, the the ride and the experience it's given me throughout my entire life has been beyond what I ever would have expected. That's such a longstanding record. Not to age either of us, to be honest, but like 30 so years of ho- holding that kind of record with how much the sport has grown like that. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And not even that you're in it for the records, right? But just it just is a good example of like some of the impact that you've had on the sport. 
Yeah. And you know, it's fun because I love to, I mean, every year, right? There's the superstar athletes, the standout players, the ones that have the big name. And I played with all those athletes during my years. I played with the, you know, nation leading home run hitters, Laura Espinosa, Jenny Dalton, Leah Bratz, like during those years and the best pitchers, Susie Parra, Nancy Evans. You know, I, I played with the fastest hitters in the game, Amy Chelvold, Allison Johnson. I mean, they were setting all these new records when I was playing with them for their speed and their batting average and their home runs. <laughs> and so yeah. like to get some little, you know, some little part in that was, was fun for me because for whatever reason at the women's college world series, I didn't even know until years ago, um, I had gotten a record book from the women's college world series alone. And I had no clue. And I opened it up and three out of my four women's college world series, I led with batting average. The other two were like five sixty and five something, and then seven fifty. And, and so I was like, what? Like, this is absolute news to me, you know? And so it was fun to like see it in paper because I would have never had any idea. I just knew how much it meant for me to like help my team win. That's <laughs> all I wanted to do. <laughs> that is hysterical that that's how you found out. Although, you know, I'm noticing more and more with these conversations, a lot of times when great players have some sort of accomplishment like that, that's a big deal they're not really paying attention to it, you know, like, because they're just in the moment, you know, one pitch at a time, like the reason they're successful is having that kind of mindset that you're talking about. So it's just so interesting. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I look back to like when I played and I'll never forget the emotions I would have. They always have the all American banquet right before the tournament starts. And it's so funny how my mind was wired like Kandrea. And back in the day, we didn't have all the social media. Thank goodness. I'm telling you, I'm so glad. But Kandrea would always be like, don't read the newspapers. That's how long ago I played. He'd be like, don't read the newspapers. So I had, would have no idea. Like I always felt like I was hitting 150, but like I was in the, you know, 400s and like I had no idea. And so I would, they would name me an all American, right? Three out of my four years as first team all American. And, and I remember like being like, okay, I'm going to go prove it this week. <laughs> I'm going to prove that I deserve this award. <laughs> so maybe I should have had that all the time because it always worked out in my favor. But I remember feeling that way of like, I'm going to show them I deserve this. <laughs> I mean, that again, yeah, it worked out clearly. So, you know, hey, <laughs> if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, like you, you figured something out at that point in time. And I love that um, for for you too with Mike Kendrea. I mean, how cool to have not only played for him at Arizona, but also Team USA, right? And I've chatted with people who played for him at Arizona, chatted with people who played for him for Team USA. But to have both of those experiences must have been so interesting. Was there was there a difference really between those two, or was he kind of the same man? You know, I was able to play for him. And I'm trying to think when I, it was 2002 and I had gotten, I got done in Arizona in 97. So there was, you know, that five-year period where, you know, I had that break and was playing with Team USA. Um, and no, I, I think it was very similar. I was actually so excited when he was named to Team USA because I played with so many, obviously players from all over the, the nation, but a lot of them had gone to UCLA. <laughs> 
a lot of my teammates played at UCLA, okay? And so I was just very excited for them, a lot of them to have a chance to play for Candrea. Obviously, with that last team that I played for, Jenny Finch had played for him and um, Lovey Jung, you know, and then Nicole Giordano was one of our alternates and she had played for him. So I was, so a couple of them had played for him. But I think for me, I was just excited for some of these other athletes who, you know, had never played for him before to play for him on Team USA. and. You know, one of the things that I I think about is when I was an athlete, I remember thinking like, because I feel like I can reach my full potential under his leadership and his styles, I would want to emulate everything that he does that I feel like brings out the best in me. Like, I feel like he comes in and he is not a cookie cutter. Every single person has to do the same thing. He says, what is your strength? Let's work with that. He knew me well enough to be like, Leah, that's not how you hit. Why are you trying to do that? Um, he would never let you get too high or too low. He constantly was had a pulse on where you were at. His expectation was through the roof, but he had that of himself. Every day he set the standard. Um, I'm actually writing a book called The Gold Standard and 14 Ways to Live a Life of Excellence. And honestly, he's a, <laughs> a lot of the book is built around the way he did things and some stories involving him because it taught me as this young athlete who wanted to just be my very best. And I know that translates into every aspect of life and it bleeds over. And so there were all these things that he did that I feel like allowed myself and my teammates to thrive. And so, and I had fun doing it. I'll never forget coming back after my first Olympics and kind of, I'd picked out, picked up some bad habits and through the year, like he would just stay after practice with me. Cause I'd be like, I'm doing okay, but I don't have my swing back. And he would sit with me for an hour after practice. And we tried 20 different things <laughs> until something clicked and we get to the women's college world series and we end up winning it and we're riding on a golf court to go to the press conference. And I turn to him and I just say, thank you for letting me love the game again. And you know, I hear that I'm sure Jenna, with you being in this sport, there's a lot of young athletes that they start to lose the love for all different reasons. But I feel like a lot of it is the environment you're in. And so I feel mm -hmm. like he said it to where we could thrive and enjoy it while you're putting in the hard work, while you're going through the struggle and the grind, you can also enjoy it. And so whether we want or not, he gave me the love back. And then I look and I went on to win two more gold medals. And and so thankful I got to win my last one with him at the head. But sorry, I, I made that a long answer. But really, like, I, I just love Coach Candrea. And I'm so thankful for the impact he's made in our sport. No, I how could it not be a long answer with that kind of question? I mean, with with all that you both have been through together, right? Like, it, it really is incredible. And to me, I think that what you just said in terms of like, he made you love the game again, that's one of, if not the highest compliment that a coach can get, in my opinion, from somebody that played for them, like outside of, you know, of course, all the tangible uh, championships and things like that, like that is truly impact. So that's, I love hearing that. Yeah, for sure. And, and then I want to then share that I do a little bit of coaching here and there. I've been coaching with team Israel the past three summers for their under 18 and under 22 programs. And I just want to foster that because you know, I, I see like 
different environments. I mean, there was a, a young gal who played for me, just got done with her division one experience. And, you know, I'd seen her in, in the winter um, and she got to play on the women's team. And then she also played for me in the under 22s. And she ended up being one of the top hitters at all the European championships. And I said, you know, Hey, what happened your senior season? Like why her numbers just didn't in what I saw in her ability, her numbers weren't there. And, you know, she, she said, you know, I feel like I went through a mind game. I feel like, and whether mm. that's, you know, self, you know, you put it on yourself or whether it's from those external pressures that are real at times, I just know that I saw in her what she was capable of and she proved it, but I wanted to give this environment to just thrive in. And so I was happy she had that opportunity to play internationally, to finish her career really by being at the top of her game and what she was capable of. And so to me, a lot of it is we're women, right? We're, we have those emotions, whether we express them a lot, that, that comes and goes, that's different for everybody. But either way, there is something powerful when we feel encouraged, inspired, believed in, it just goes on top of what we already know that we want to achieve. And we at times feel like we can't achieve. So I want to like, as a coach, anytime I'm in that position, I really want to just pour that onto these athletes and let them know, Hey, go, go shine. You have the, the possibility in front of you. That's the best feeling. And I feel like we always talk about the ability to play free and I think that's the type of environment that allows you to do that, right? And that's really the best feeling. I think the reason that we all love the sport is because we've had that feeling at some time, uh, and not just ourselves, but with our teammates, et cetera, right? And I think, obviously, you know, looking at the gold standard, uh, you mentioned your book, but I know you have your podcast too. You could take it literally, right? Because you've obviously back to back to back uh, Olympic gold medals, and then, of course, the three national championships. But it's obviously more than that. So what is, what is the gold standard? Yeah, I think the gold standard is being like who you want to be and you are capable of being, not letting anything stand in your way, right? I did that in the softball field and a lot of that, who, what, what team was I part of? Who was my coach? Who were my teammates? That plays into it, right? But then I get done with softball, right? Or I actually got married in in the midst of playing softball. And so I get married and, and then I have kids and what does it look like to be a gold standard wife or a gold standard mom? Or, you know, I'm doing commentating. Like I know you do. How, how do I give my best in the booth, right? To where I can now elevate and lift up these athletes that we're commentating about. Um, you know, what does that look like, right? As I'm out there speaking and I do a lot of speaking or the little coaching, like I said, that I do, how do I become a gold standard coach? And this is what we're talking about. It's this idea, really what I, what it comes down to is every single one of us can be the game changer, no matter what Mm -hmm. environment we come into. And what I love is you, we look at leadership of, okay, who's the oldest, who's in the position of authority, but I don't Mm -hmm. think that's what true leadership is. Leadership is influence. And we all have the ability to have a positive influence or sometimes a bad leadership, it's bad influence, right? Negative. And so with that, I want people to know how you do everything matters. Your attitude, which Kandre was very big on, your attitude and your effort are completely within your control and how you treat people. I feel like it all can can be summed up in Attitude, effort, and teamwork, and how well you can mesh those three. And I'm a big believer that if you can do them with the right heart, with the right focus, with the right um, meaning and intention behind it, that you're going to make a positive impact wherever you go. Those are the things that we can control, 
too. Attitude, effort, right? Like the teamwork aspect. We can't control most of the things. I feel like that happened in softball, right? And in life, really. But the few things that we can control, like what you're talking about, can make the biggest difference. I, I think you nailed it. Yeah. And and that was a big thing. And I'm going to tell you, I did really learn a lot about on the, that on the softball field, but it 100% has influenced me and helped me as a mom, as a wife, going through ups and downs in real life, right? In your everyday <laughs> circumstances, through struggles and trials, through relationship stuff, really understanding if it's out of my control, I, I see other people that really go on these emotional roller coasters, right? Because they allow a lot of things they can't control to dictate how they're going to respond and how they can even get up each day. And that doesn't mean we're not all on a journey, right? We all need to learn and we all grow and we're all different. But I believe even in the midst of storms and trials, and we saw this as athletes, right? It might have been a, a slump we were in. You have the ability to still find a way to take something positive, to turn it around, to find the solution. That's a big thing Kandrea would talk about. He said, a lot of you guys as Olympians, you guys were always solution-based, whereas a lot of people are sitting and focusing and dwelling on the problem. Y'all were working right. to make, you know, what, what do I need to do? What's the next step to find a solution to change things? What do you think helped you the most in being able to stay solution-based? You know, we talk about short-term memory for things. We talk about a lot of different things. But what do you think helped you the most to be able to do that? I, I think it's it's what's the next step and it's not dwelling on what's behind me. It's taking, it's it's the adjustment process. I feel like that helped mm -hmm. me as an athlete and I feel like that helps me as, an, as a woman, you know, in everyday life. Um, what is the next step? And then taking, and then taking action. And then, okay, if that didn't work, what's the next step? Like, right, not sitting, not dwelling, not looking backward, not, I mean, you got to learn, you got to know what you're doing, right? Because if you don't learn anything, you just go and keep, keep making the same mistake over and over again. That doesn't help anybody. So I think it's, it's being willing to take action too. Like I, you have to learn sometimes just by taking action and sometimes things don't work out, <laughs> but then it's okay. What's, what's the next step? And I think a lot of people hold back. They have that fear of failure. They have the fear of what others think. And so therefore they might want to even do something, but they don't. And so for me, I feel like, you know, not that I don't have those worries at times, but I think I, I'm just somebody that's willing to take action and just learn from it. It's so true because there's a difference between dreaming big and then like actually taking action towards it, right? Like I think you even said on your website, talking about the gold standard, and the podcast, you said, if you are an ambitious person who has a big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. And I feel like that's important though, because it's not that it's not always that, oh, someone's not motivated or they don't have the vision. It's like the execution part and the taking action that you're talking about that really is that difference maker. And, and just knowing yourself, like what happens when things aren't going well? where you turn, what, what is your tendencies and understanding. And so like, for me, like, like I'll give myself a moment, I'll make a couple phone calls, I'll pray about it. Cause my faith is really big to me. 
But then like the next day, it's like, all right, let's go. So I'll give myself that moment. And I know myself like, I know like, okay, it's okay. I'm having this moment. I know where I can turn, you know, some outlets. And then it's like, okay, my mind shift is going to happen tomorrow. Like I won't stay there too long. And so, but again, I think it's that willingness to take that risk. I mean, you know, I look and people will say to me, Leah, cause like, you know, I would, we would go out and we'd feed these homeless. Someone was doing it. And I was like, can't we do that too? And so next thing you know, we 10 years, we were out on the streets feeding these homeless and people are like, they were, they're too scared to even show up. And I'm like, but if you came, you probably wouldn't be that scared. (laughs) And then an orphanage in Mexico. And I'm like taking my little ones with me and, you know, and I don't know, sometimes maybe I think everything's just going to be great, but like, I just am willing to go and, and then learn sometimes. I mean, I try to be smart and wise, but my point is that people will say to me sometimes like, Oh, I wish I could be more like that. And I'm like, no, you could, you, you could, you, it's just some choices, you know, you would have to make. And so it's, it's fun. I've had friends that have, you know, confided in me or asked me and I, I try to pull them out of their shells a little bit and try to bring them along um, just to just show them like, it's good to get out of your comfort zone. Mm, yeah, that distinction that you just said is is really important too. I wish I could be more like that. And it's like, but what's what's stopping you from being more like that? You know, and I, as an analyzer, I am someone who is very like analytical in that way. I've worked really hard on trying to just do things a little bit more, like you're saying, like just take the action and learn by doing versus like overanalyzing everything. But I think those are the little things that, you know, it's a lifelong process too. Like, you know, I was working on it as a player, still working on it now, right? Like in the other things that I do. So I very much appreciate it. (laughs) No, it definitely is. And I think we all are wired a little differently. And then some of it also are like, what are the opportunities that present themselves with? Because I've done a lot of things that I would have never thought I would have even tried or I wouldn't, I probably would have wanted to say no to, but when the opportunity presented itself, I was willing to say yes. I I was um, a co-host for a few years on a a faith-based sports show where they would interview pro athletes. They would bring the interview in-house and then myself, Frank Pastore was a former MLB pitcher and then AC Green of the Lakers. The three of us were co-hosts. And the first day before I went in to the studio, I was sitting in my car, like, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, why did I say yes to this? And I just was like, my heart was pounding. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to go. And so, and it ended up, I had a lot to learn, Jenna. I, I had a lot to learn. I had a lot of growth that needed to take place, but it did over time. And, and really, if I thought too much about it, I probably would have said no, <laughs> but I was so glad I said yes. And, and just learned a lot through that time as well. Early on, I remember thinking like, these guys, they're MLB players, they're NBA players, like right, the notoriety, the money they make, the attention they receive. It's so different and than softball, right? A female sport that doesn't have all of that. And I remember after a couple shows thinking, you know what? No, it's good to have a female voice in there. And just getting that confidence to say like, no, it's good. Your voice needs to be heard. And like building off of that. Whereas right in the beginning, right, I'm doing the comparison game, which is so common. And I'm comparing it to what we all see and know in our society. And, and thank goodness, like that's changing a lot. There's a lot more women in a lot of different spaces that didn't used to be. Um, but yeah, I, I think off of that topic you and I are talking about it, it, it's so important for us to just say yes sometimes to opportunities that even scare us. 
Yes. Yes. And I mean, I'm saying yes right now, right? Because I'm still working on that as well. It's so true though. It's, it's like, what, what's that quote? It's like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? It's like you either will certainly know the outcome because you didn't try, you didn't do anything or like, you'll actually learn like, Hey, what could have been is, is what is or what happened versus, you know, wondering your whole life. I just think that's a much better space to live in, let alone be an athlete or anything else in. Yeah. And I think also not comparing like, um, where other people are at, maybe even years after they've started and you're just starting out. Because I think if I even do that in certain areas, I'm like, why would I even start? Like, you know, but it's like, no, yeah. what, what is that opportunity? Because they also started somewhere. And so I think remembering that and giving yourself grace, that's been big for me because at times where, you know, I'm going in a direction and I'm like, I don't even know if I want to keep going in. And that's okay to have that conversation. Right. But I think at times I have to, I have to say, why am I feeling this way? And then when it's like, oh, because you're comparing right now to someone else and your story is not their story. And I think that's important for all of us to remember, especially with so many new opportunities with social media and online opportunities and, you know, television and what you're doing with the different um, with Stanford and with D1 softball and all the opportunities out there. You know, I think it's so important to be like, what is presented before me? You know, can I step into this and can I do my best with it? Because it really is about that that's the gold standard is it's like how I'm willing to show up and not just the result or the outcome. Right. And we did that in softball, right? How did I approach each day? And then the results took care of themselves. And so that's that idea of it's really how you do it. Now, are there other people out there trying to cut corners? Sure. But we can't follow along with that. We need to give our best and show up to be our best. We joke, my boys, I have, I have my sons and um, two are still in high school. One's out, but the two, they're athletes. And so they'll do something. And some days I'm like, yes, that's the gold standard. And other days, like, you know, they're going into school late or they're, you know, just like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, that is not the gold standard. So it's become kind of a a joke in our family. (laughs) I love that. I feel like that is, that is family to a T where it's like, we can have fun with this too. Like, like it's real, right? Like you are really talking about the gold standard, but like, we can also have fun with this too, because that's the only way to live life. I think sometimes it's laugh or cry, right? And laughing is definitely better. Yes, for sure. (laughs) But I've noticed too that, you know, I, I have a theory that I feel like anyone who has played softball or, or been deeply involved in it, like it never really, it, 100% goes away, even if they take a different career path, you know, or or move on in life, like there's some sort of tie that's still there. But for you, you know, you have chosen a path within the game that is largely through words, like you're a motivational speaker, you have your podcast or commentator, you have written resources that you put together. Um, Why that format? Why does that type of communication resonate with you? You know, it's, it's funny. I would do the softball clinics. I think that was a natural progression, especially being an Olympian. I thought I was going to be a teacher, right? I did a couple camps at college and I didn't know what I really wanted to do after school. And I remember thinking, well, my, if I have a family one day, I know that's going to be my priority. Like I knew enough to say that's my heart. So I was like, well, maybe teaching. Okay. And so, and I did these camps and just loved working with the athletes and breaking it down. And, and so I didn't like think coaching right away. I I thought more teaching. And so, you know, that, that became the, that's what started. I did some individual lessons when I would do a camp. I remember 
at the end, we do all these drills and spend hours and have fun. But then I would sit and we'd talk to them for 15, 20 minutes, some of my Olympic teammates and myself. And I almost remember just walking away going, I think that's the most impactful part. I mm. think these words of sharing our story, but relating it to right where they are, to getting them to be able to dream big and believe, hey, maybe there is a future for me, or I don't have to settle, or I can be great if I'll just continue to, to give all that I have and to surround myself with the right people. And that really captured my heart. Now, I didn't think I was capable. I played with the Stacey Newmans and the Jessica Mendozas, and I would listen to everything they'd say. And I'd be like, they're so funny and they're so smart and they're the best. I mean, they're good friends of mine. And I loved the conversations I would get into, especially with those two. And I just remember God really putting on my heart, like you can go share too, because I, I was playing the comparison game a little bit and I didn't yeah. feel like I had as much, right? And I just remember like, you know what? I really do love that. And so eventually I joined Jenny Finch's camps and she had bigger crowds and bigger audiences. And she was like, hey, Leah, can you share this? Or can you talk about this? And it was this natural progression. I think that was probably a little better than me trying to go out and do something because I think I, I probably would have put too much pressure on myself. Mm-hmm. And that has one you know thing after another. It's got the ball rolling and it's ended up being what is the next step? You know, I had done this devotional Jenny Finch camps, you know, she asked me, Hey, prior to camp on Sunday mornings, would you share for anyone that wants to come early? And, and so I was like, yeah. And so her and I did it together for a little while as well. But eventually, I mean, I've done 70, 80 of them every time I'm just finding like, what's for this group, a new, a new topic. And eventually someone was like, hey, have you ever thought about putting that in book form? And I just was like, no, I haven't. And so I ended up doing that. And and then, you know, even this book that's about to come out about the gold standard, um, you know, that it's it's a lot of those stories, the stories of, you know, the bigger picture stuff that I I got to win national championships. I got to win gold medals. But while that was happening, these heart changes and mindset shifts were happening that were showing me bigger picture things that I really believe set me on the path that I, you know, that I've been on. And, and I'm just a big believer. We all can win. It doesn't have to be, I win and you can't win. I'm really big on that. Like we all can help each other and, you know, really just like lifting everyone else. That's, that's my heart is I don't want to do anything on my, by myself. <laughs> I want to join forces. I want to link arms. I'm all about team. And so, you know, even you and I meeting, right? This is our first time yeah. really meeting. I mean, I've known of mm-hmm. you, but it, it's cool to see, like, look, it, I'm so excited for what you're doing. And I want that to continue to grow and explode. Well, and I think that is something that is uh, where I'm always biased about this, but I think that's a special thing in softball. I think it's a special thing in sports. But from my experience with people in the softball community like yourself, I mean, the reason that I've had now half of the people on that poster behind you on this show is because of that kind of mindset that you're talking about right now, you know, like that collaborative mindset or even you joining Jenny's camps, right? Like there's a teamwork aspect to that as well that helps both of you and then ultimately everyone around you. It's just like such an important aspect to, you know, this is a team sport, really. So like we do have that piece ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And and I've found that at times where like I've been wanting to set out to do something and it might even be like, hey, I'm, you know, I want to speak about this. But then it's like, okay, well, who 
can help me do that and who can make me better. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun the last couple of years because, you know, I actually was a homeschool mom for 13 years. Um, it was crazy, but that was my priority. And I would do these different things alongside, but I really was home. Like that was my, my first priority. Now my boys are in high school. We only have about a, a little less than a year and a half of school left before my youngest is graduated. And the last couple of years I've been like, okay, well, what do I want this to look like now? Because now I'm, I'm entering a new season, right? We sports, we talk about seasons. <laughs> And so it's a new season. I have a little more flexibility. And, you know, it was the first time I started delving into what do I want to do? Because up until then, I knew my priority is this. And when things would come to me, I could say yes or no, depending on if it made sense. And that has connected me with a gal who is amazing graphics designer. Well, guess what? I don't have any clue about that. But we need that, right? And and people, you know, who are good with marketing and people who know stuff about the book industry and and you ha- you want the best team. Like I, you know, I knew that's what helped us become gold medalists, right? Was all of us playing our strengths in the role that we were given and then relying on each other for them to come up big with their strengths. And so, yeah, Jenna, I agree with you. Like it's all about team and no matter what we do, even broadcasting, right? Like that's one of the things that I've so appreciated. Like, first of all, when I was doing analyst work, right? And you, and I have my play-by-play, I'm like, how do they even remember all this? Like they are phenomenal, <laughs> which is that the role? you play are you the analyst or the are you the play-by-play I do I do both I do both um but I agree with you when I first started like the play-by-play people I was like I want to do more of that so I have started to do that for other sports too um and you're so right there's so much that goes into it okay well hats off to you because that could not be that's not my strength (laughs) so so that and then the people behind the the camera that you never see and you never hear about in the team that's bringing it all together and I just remember like what a team like yeah you have the two voices and every once in a while you get on camera but honestly the team itself like it takes everyone and so I I love that idea and so to me like I want to be with the best people around me right that are like heading in the right direction because that alone that decision alone I look back to high school that was huge that put me on the right path because there were a lot of kids that were not going in the right direction and had I hung out and gotten into that environment it could have shifted my entire future Right. And so mm-hmm. I think that idea of just like understanding what va- what values you hold and what direction you want to go and then try to position yourself, you know, in the best way possible. What sticks out to me about all of this is how much of it is about the person way more than the athlete. Like, it, of course, it translates. But so much of what you're talking about is really about the person. And like you said, what you've learned as a person and that you've taken off the field as well. And I've heard that actually about Mike Andrea specifically too. And even when he came on this show, you could really tell like everyone always talks about the impact that he had on them as a person, as a woman, you know, as an adult kind of navigating the world. And I think that again, one of the highest compliments you can get, but I see you doing that now in all the roles that you hold too. And I think you did it as an athlete, right? But like you're doing it in all these other ways as well, which is incredible. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's been fun. Like even my, 
originally when I first launched my podcast, I was interviewing pro and Olympic athletes that have gone on to do great things because my idea was, okay, it's these same principles that do translate and it is who they are as people. And then it's, and then it's them, you know, choosing those same standards that they did that helped them to get to that elite status. And so that idea was, I want to hear, what is it for you? What, what has made you tick? What are those things that have helped you? Because again, like we should be able to, and a lot of my Olympic teammates and a lot of elite just in general athletes. That's why a lot of companies love athletes. They know they understand discipline and hard work and sacrifice and they, you know, willing to work with others. (laughs) I mean, there's all those great qualities. And so that idea is how then do I take that into every environment? And so it's funny because even when I was first married and my husband and I are like fighting, right? Because, you know, you're like, oh, like two strong people. And I remember being like, (laughs) I don't know if he's my best teammate. (laughs) We need to be a team here. Like I remember thinking like, well, we have kids, like uh, how are we going to be as a team? And now I look back and I'm like, no, like we're opposites for a reason. God has a sense of humor, but you know, opposites really do attract. And we both have qualities that the other is lacking and we need to bring that together. And that has been, you know, especially being the mom of three boys, like that's really been, you know, needed to raise them. And um, and so anyways, it's, it's a team and that's part of like, part of my book, my second chapter is about impacting the culture. And I have this idea of how, like when I went into Arizona, like there was a culture that was set. Kandrea had come in to a program that really struggled and he immediately elevated. Right. So he set that as well, but then it takes everybody involved. Everybody underneath has to have that same mentality because if you don't buy in, you know, you're going to either pull the team the other way, or you're going to, you know, you're going to drag people down or you're going to not end up staying. And so, and then my thing was like, okay, so I get there. So I buy into that culture and then I can also make the culture better. Right. And so when I got to the Olympic team, right, the same thing, they had, they had this legacy and they had people who had been a part of the program for so many years. And I, I got in and I saw what that meant and it aligned with, you know, who I, I was as well. Right. And, and sometimes, cause sometimes, honestly, you hear, hear stories, Jenna, we know there's some programs that have really bad cultures and usually you're hearing it from multiple different people. Right. And so those situations are hard because sometimes the best answer is to leave that culture. And other times it's like, no, you show the way and set the culture. And so when you say that, Kandrea, I hear that a lot as well with actually a lot of coaches. You and I have talked about Coach Rittman. You played for John Rittman. I loved playing for him on Team USA. He's at Clemson now. Just a phenomenal man, and it's who he is as a person. Patty Gasso, the respect she has from her athletes that come in, especially as this strong female leader, and says, they they all say it, right? We come in as girls. We leave as women. And the empowerment that takes place think that's probably what you'll see is the similarity between all these top programs is you have these leaders who pour into these female athletes who allow them to then become stronger women. And then they leave those teams and they make an impact in our communities, in our, in our companies, in, in our society. It's so true. It is so true and so evident and you know you're one of one of those people who are making a big impact in society and in the sport and just for women and girls in a general sense and this is one of my favorite questions to ask someone like you who's doing this do you consider it giving back or paying it forward oh that's a great question and i have to say it's a little bit of both i, I yeah. really believe it's a little bit of both i, I think for me 
the giving back part, part 100%. Like, I feel like I want to take what was given to me and I want to give it back. Right. But then at the same time, you know, that if they receive it, that is moving forward. And so I, I don't know that you could say it's one or the other. I really believe it's, it's a little bit of both happening at the same time. Yeah, that makes sense. You're giving back what you know helped you. And then you're also finding your own ways to have your individual impact, right? Like you're saying, we were talking about it. No one's cookie cutter, right? Everyone has their strengths. And so you're figuring both out. And I always just think, you know, that is an interesting way to think of it. And I love hearing from from someone like you about how you think about that, because it's 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 complicated, but simple at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's a great question because people might look at it differently. And, and that just comes down to your motive, right? Of why you're doing what you're doing. And, and, but ultimately I, again, I think it goes back to what we've talked about. Like everybody kind of wins because you're still being involved. And then those that are receiving are able to take that and run with it. Right. That's exactly right. And obviously we've talked about Kandrea a few times. How could we not, right, in this conversation? But to see the growth, we've talked about the growth of of the sport, but for you in particular, you know, now if you go to Tucson, it's Mike Kandrea Field, for example, to see that sort of immortalized in a way. What kind of emotions do you have seeing that having been through all of these different phases of Arizona softball? Well, I think it's so well deserved and you know, it was really hard when he decided to retire because I know the impact he had in my life and so many other lives that he touched. And not that he's not doing that in different ways now, but on the field every day, you learn so much more than softball. And so to see them name the field after him is to me like just a no brainer. I think it's, it's necessary, right? Because I think his name should be cemented. I was very fortunate of the people that had come before me. I was very blessed. You know, I look back and and at times I'm like, man, it'd be so fun to play right now because I'd have so many followers and I'd have so much this and so much more NIL money and all this stuff. And they make more than I've ever made as an Olympic gold medalist. But, but I will say, I don't, I don't regret the time period I came up in. I came in and guess what? Candrea said to my mom, all right, go buy her a brand new pair of of running shoes because those things are going to get worn out. And so when I came in, but by the time I left a few years later and that year, the fall, they had just built the the new stadium and it wasn't the first of its kind in this country. And so we were on that cutting edge, but there are women that played before me that caused that to happen and they never got to see the results. And I think I'm glad when I came because I was able to see that roll over. Whereas a lot of athletes a few years down the road, they never saw that. They just come in and it's there. And so it really allowed me to so appreciate, even from the first Olympics to the third Olympics, the difference of you were just grateful to get anything. And if you know, a company was willing to sign you was such a big deal. And by the third, they're like, well, they better give me this and they better give me that. And you're just like, whoa, to, to be on both ends was very eye opening. Had I not been there, I wouldn't have known the difference. And so it was, it was a, an interesting time, but I'm grateful for when I played because the women before me had paved the way and the coaches who sacrificed so much and then I was able to be that part of some of that stuff growing. And I was blessed to be a part of USA Softball. And then to just see it continue, that's what you want. You want to find any way that you can continue 
to keep helping. Now, even though I'm way done playing and it's so long ago, how can I still in any way, shape or form, push this sport forward more and more for these young ladies coming up? That must be such a great perspective too, that you have even coming into the broadcasts that you're working on. Because, you know, having that sense of understanding the history, but also understanding like where we're at now as a sport and just as a community like that, that's a big deal. I think there's room for better or more education around the history of our sport, truly, especially with, you know, like the current generation playing and the young girls who are coming up, because there is so much that led us to this point, to your, to your point. I think sometimes it actually might help a little bit. We have so much pressure placed upon us. We have so many things that these athletes are constantly, you know, feeling overwhelmed. Sometimes maybe you'd be like, hey, guys, they didn't even, they all had to share helmets or they, nobody could afford their own bats or there was one bat and it was, you know, 20, whatever, it weighed this and that was it. Whether you were like 10 or whether you were 18, you had to swing the same, same, you know, length and weight of bat. Like, like it just, it's funny to think back, but that's how it was. You just did with what you had, you know? And, um, and, and then I think that's, what's been fun for me too, like being able to go around the world and to see softball and to help Israel softball and to see like trying to make it grow in Europe softball. And we would play obviously the teams that would make it to the world championships. So Italy was always good. Right. And you had, you know, Netherlands were always good. But then to now for me to get to see these Poland and Slovakia and some teams in Czech Republic who has come a long way and to just go, wow, like, okay, worldwide, it really has changed a lot. And, you know, that if, the fact, again, if I can be involved and there's a lot of um, former All-Americans, coaches around, you know, from the U.S. that have gone around the world, Olympians, um, players that have really done their part as well to do their best to grow the sport. Globally, it's, it's incredible. It really is. And obviously you have a wonderful and very helpful perspective on what that looks like, given all of the international experience that you have. And then, so we look at a year like, like this, we're in 2024, the Paris Olympics are this summer, softball's not in it. We did get it back in Tokyo. It's looking good for LA but we don't have it this summer. What do you think we have to do to make that, you know, more of a consistent thing for our community? You know, I think it's just continuing to grow it globally. I know Candrea, Mm -hmm. he's helping a little bit with Italy. I know that came through a relationship of their, you know, manager who had passed away over COVID. And so they had asked him and he said he'd be a consultant. And I think the continued growth of the game globally is the answer. And that's why for me, I mean, I was actually at a tournament with a 13 and under team Israel, and it's a mix of athletes from Israel and Americans who have Jewish heritage and they're playing together. But that younger age is the difference, Jenna. I think that's the difference. You know, Italy, again, it's certain parts of the country where they played and they have it even at the youth age. But a lot of these other countries, 
once they can get some of these athletes, it's really later in life. A lot of them don't, they have no travel ball type of programs. If you go to a private school, they said that's usually the only way you're even exposed to the sport. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in those countries, they don't even know about the sport of softball. That's the difference. And I think our struggle compared to like soccer or football is how it's known around the world, right? Globally. And I think that's where the challenge comes in. And so the more we can educate. So I do feel fortunate. I was just on a trip with my husband celebrating our anniversary in Costa Rica last week. And there were some uh, a young couple uh, from the Netherlands that were there. So I was telling them how great the Netherlands is in softball. They were like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> never seen it over there, you know? (laughs) So I found that, okay, it just depends on same thing. I spoke to some students that had come over from China, China. When I played, they were one of the top in the entire world, but yet depending on where these people and students were from, they had never even heard of the sport. So that I think is the biggest challenge. I think in America, where would you go that people haven't heard of softball? Right. And so if we could do that and start to do that more on a global scale, that's how I think it starts to change. It's interesting. And it actually makes me think just looking back at the collegiate landscape and how it grew, you know, it was so West Coast focused, so West Coast heavy for a long time. But then as, you know, talent has gone more places across the country, there's been more of that development too, that's gone along with that in these different locations. And then, so you are reaching the kids younger and then all of a sudden now we're coast to coast, like there's fantastic talent everywhere. And if you think about that, but like on a more global scale, it does make sense that like that sort of maybe a little bit more grassroots in that sense um, approach could be really key for us. I think that's a great way to look at it. Like you just mentioned, because same thing when I would travel to the South originally, realized a lot of those athletes are playing slow pitch. And now to look at some of the phenomenal yeah. athletes coming from those areas to see I mean, it's been a while, but really a short amount of time for that to happen. I agree with you. I think that grassroots approach, if that can start to happen in other countries, and that's, I know personally from my experiences, I know that's what they're trying to do in Israel, as well as I was talking to the, you know, one of the leaders from Spain, they're trying to do that more there. So this idea, I think it is starting to take on more internationally. As it should. And we, we've all, we're all obviously on board for that, you know, like it's so fun, like seeing it back in Tokyo after, you know, what ended up being 13 years instead of 12 years because of the the delay with the Olympics and all of that stuff was, you know, it was emotional actually getting to see that again. How did it feel for you as somebody who actually has obviously been on that stage? Yeah, I had I had different emotions. I was so sad, first of all, for those athletes not to have their families in the stands. That part yeah. was really sad. But I was very thankful that they still got to be Olympians and compete in the Olympic Games after everything was so unsure from 2020. So I, I had these mixed yeah. emotions. Of course, I was following every pitch and just pulling for them. I knew a number of the athletes. I, you know, tried to be in touch with a number of them as much as possible. A couple of my Olympic teammates were coaches. Um, obviously, Ken Erickson, who helped coach me, was a coach. And so, um, you know, I just, I was in touch with them the whole time watching all of it. So I was so, again, grateful and thankful for our sport to be back in the Olympics, but also just felt a little sad, especially for them, that the ones that it's only going to be their only Olympics that, you know, that was the only experience that they were going to get, not with their fans and families. Cause that, those were some of the biggest moments to me. I mean, obviously competing with your teammates, representing your country, but then also the idea of who was there 
you know, cheering on, on you on in the stands. And so, um, yeah, so I had kind of mixed emotions in that sense, but I was so proud of them. And I knew like the outcome is going to take care of itself. Give everything you have. I was so excited when Kelsey hit that home run and <laughs> he won that game yes. leading up to the finals and was like, okay, he got this. And then of course was sad. Just like in 2008, I was watching the game in the middle of the night and my heart just sank when it got to the fifth inning and the sixth inning, I felt like sick to my stomach for my teammates, you know? Um, and it's pretty yeah. phenomenal that even Cal Osterman was on that team, even though I played with her that many years prior, you know? So even cheering on one of my teammates. Yeah. yeah because again, you're in that really interesting sort of I don't know, the era that's kind of a bridge, right? Like between some of the the really early pioneers, but then also like some of the more recent women who have made a huge impact, including yourself, right? It's, yeah, it's just the the amount of, or the all the different areas of the game that you touch is, is really cool to see. Yeah, it's been so neat. And I think also staying in touch with all my teammates like the Natasha's and the Jenny Finch and Lisa Fernandez and Laura Berg and to see the impact and the touch points all of them have. A lot of them in the game still. Jessica Mendoza, you know, she went over to MLB, but still doing great stuff at the Women's College World Series at the ESPN and still just inspiring so many females in sports to be able to go out and just break down barriers, you know, I, I just feel so fortunate to still be connected to so many of them. And honestly, even these college athletes, when we're commentating, if I'm able in any way, shape or form to reach out to them, or I see something they're posting and I just can try to encourage them. I don't know. They might take it and run with it. I was the athlete that would. <laughs> so when people yeah. like offered me, you know, encouragement or different things, like I really would hold on to that. So I figure, well, I'm going to give it out. And those that want to, they'll be able to keep it with them and, and hopefully can just encourage them to continue just doing great things. Well, there you go. You're giving back and paying it forward at the same time, like like we said, which is wonderful. Um, but you're doing so many things. So just for everyone tuning in, how can people follow everything that you're doing? What's the best way for them to keep up with you? Yeah, probably uh, my website, leahamico.com, L-E-A-H-A-M-I-C-O.com. That usually has stuff. It has my links to my LinkedIn, to my, you know, Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter. Um, you know, usually I will just share different things with commentating, with speaking, with the book. I'm going to obviously be sharing that very soon here. Um, my podcast, obviously, the Gold Center podcast with Leah Amico. It's on all the platforms. Um, but I, I, I usually share about all of that through my social media. So it's Leah 20 USA um, for those that are on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, and I will continue to, to be sharing and blasting all that information out. Well, I know I will be tuning in as I'm sure a ton of people will be. And frankly, I'd have, you know, 8 million more uh, questions for you if, if I could, but um, I, I will respect your time <laughs> and maybe end with just a, a wrap-up game that I play with every guest that comes on the show. Um, basically, it's called Safer Out. And if I'll bring up a topic. If you like it, you agree with it, you call it safe. If you don't, you call it out. Makes okay. sense. <laughs> okay. So the first one is playing with a white ball instead of like the, the yellow ball that we know today. Safer Out. Wait, okay, wait, explain really quick. Like I, if I, I talk about it or I just say it's good or it's not no, good. Like, you can, you can say safe or out and then you can say why if you want to explain okay. it, but. Okay. Just... Safe. 
but wait, am I supposed to say like, I, you should play with it or you shouldn't play with it? No, just like your experience. No, it's no pressure. Like, it's just like, what was your experience like? <laughs> so safe. But the yellow ball, I was, I was thankful to see, like, it made you feel like you're a lot stronger than playing with the yeah, white well, ball. That's always my question too. Cause I always wonder if people are like, I wonder what my stats would have looked like had I played with the yellow ball the entire time, you know? So, <laughs> okay. That was the first one. Second one is with your uniforms, having shorts as your uniforms, safe or out? Safe. I thought it was the best thing because it was so hot when we played and I get really hot easily. <laughs> so I personally loved it. But I know when I was also at Ken with Kandrea, he was a big pants guy. And, and back in college, when everybody was playing with shorts, we were the one of the few teams that had pants when we played. So I like both. That's true. That's true. I did appreciate less tan lines with the pants. I mean, I just didn't really get any color at all. But, you know, at least it was even, I guess. Um, okay, got it. Next one is the conference realignments. Safer out. Safe. I am interested to see. I believe all sports people are very um, flexible, and that's a big thing in playing sports. So I'm excited to watch how it plays out and to see which teams take advantage of the new conference that they're a part of. You're, again, one of the people that. I like to ask this question too, because, you know, obviously coming from the pack, right. And how historic mm. the conference has been. And that's obviously changing. Um, but at the same time, you're right. It's like, we have to make adjustments, right? So how do you balance those two things? But you're such a big part of that history. You know, I feel like maybe just all of us will just be like memorialized in stone now that that pack <laughs> is going away, which is really, really sad. It's so sad to think about the history and you being from Stanford, the history that Stanford has. Very, very sad. But I think in some ways it's going to be etched, right? It's going to be etched in stone of like these people were the ones that made the difference. So we'll just try to take the positive. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We'll try to go out with a bang the, this season. Yeah. yeah. All right. The last one is bat flips. Safer out. Safe because you know what? I'm just gonna go for it. I'm personally not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Okay. I'm just gonna say it. To each their own. Be who you are. But I know playing for Candrea, we were always like, you know what? We do it. That is the show. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that is the show. I like that. I haven't like heard it put that way. But I, that's good. I like that. <laughs> uh, well, this has been awesome, Leah. Again, thank you. I'm so glad we were able to connect. And I'm really excited for everything that you're doing. I'm going to be keeping a close eye. And thank you also just for everything that you've done for the sport and for women and girls. Thank you so much, Jenna. It's great talking with you. Excited for all that you have going on as well. Keep making a difference in our sport. Obviously, you know, really enjoyed connecting with Leah. She is just such a pioneer in our sport, for women and girls, just in a general sense. And I think we got a little glimpse into why she's one of the four women who have three Olympic golds. And maybe even also, by the way, why Mike Candrea, her coach, was named the interim athletic director at Arizona, a softball coach in charge of all the sports 
at that kind of athletic institution. That is goat stuff. You know, before they hired their new AD, he was the one that they turned to. And I think that says a lot. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about doing less. It's sort of counterintuitive when we're talking about working hard. You know, our brains automatically think about doing more. We always want to do the most we can, and we put a lot of thought into that. But I want to reinforce one of the concepts that Leah brought up. And, you know, she said it more than once, that if she would have thought about something too much, whether it was, you know, her high batting average at the Women's College World Series or her podcast and her career path now, it probably wouldn't have worked out the way that it did and as well as it did. And in that same vein, I actually saw another friend of the show, a former guest, Ashley Burkhart, who's a Purdue alum and a hitting coach. She was sharing some tips for young players who are, are going to tryouts, you know, especially if they're a little bit nervous. And the first tip she mentioned was about trying less. Because the thought process being when we are anxious or we feel under pressure, we tend to overdo it a little bit. You know, our, our efforts, even if they're 110%, it becomes too tense. And you, generally speaking, have more success when you're at more of a smooth, relaxed 90%. We talk about this. I've said this before. My coach used to tell me this. Hitting is a relaxed skill. You feel better, usually, and you have a better outcome, usually, when you're more relaxed. And I think that's why you see so many hitters breathe every time before they step in the box for every pitch. And, you know, Leah, Ashley, they're right. I think for someone like me who has anxiety, it is right on the nose. And the same goes for comparing ourselves to others. Leah talked about how doing less of that was one of the keys to success for her. So we're also comparing less. We're doing less of that type of comparing. So I think just for young ones, parents or even anyone interested in development or just kind of the mental training piece, follow Leah on Instagram, you know, at Leah20USA and Ashley at Ashley B Training. I think they're both really thoughtful and they both have touched on this subject recently. So even if some things might feel counterintuitive, sometimes reframing the way that you think about it and maybe even turning it on its head like we're doing here, sometimes that's when it clicks. So that's it. Do less. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com and YouTube too. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, and if you liked it, write a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, that's B-L-E-A-V. And you can reach out to me personally on Twitter at Jenna Becerra 01 and Instagram at Jenna Becerra as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.